I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, we're back. It's Mind Rolling Podcast. I'm Raghu Marcus. And, and, and... I'm David Silver. Thanks, Dave. We got a, an incredible guest today. Actually, we've been... For a long time, David and I talk about... Or especially in the very beginning of when we were podcasting a year ago, or a little more than that, um, we talked about how we felt there was a deep connection between what we came through late 60s, early 70s tra in transformational Lee, and, uh, and what's going on today with a millennial generation into, you know, younger X generation, whatever, you know, 20 to 40 something. And so we've constantly gone, you know, talked about that. I mean, it's been very, very much a thread. And um, so today we have somebody who absolutely represents uh, what we're talking about in terms of uh, new generation, Chris Grosso. Chris, great to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a real honor to be here. And it's funny you say that just really quickly about the connection you feel, because I feel, to be honest, more connected with with like Ram Dass and, and Love Server Member Foundation and Stephen and Andrea Levine, that generation, than I kind of do with my own. So it's an interesting dichotomy there. So uh, just wanted to mention that before we got rolling. Well, the, the truth is, when I um, when I was reading the book, what struck me uh, right off the bat, it made me think of this whole thing of how you know we're connecting up the dots uh, between generations. I mean, there's a lot of overt stuff that's totally connectable. You know, war, social unrest, huge divide between 
uh, wealthy and, and poor and an environment, which, you know, that was percolating back then as well. You know, mm-hmm. more around the nuclear thing, and look what happened here with Fukushima. Right. So, um, but what really, uh, we should, uh, David, before I go any further, would you please uh, talk about Chris's book uh, a oh, little yeah, bit? Happily. We've got to do that, and, and, and how you can get it through. Yeah, uh, you can get it through Amazon, portal. and we just remind you that we have an Amazon portal on our website, and we'd like you to get it, get Chris's book and any other book you want through Amazon, because we get a little bit of, of uh, backsheesh from that. So uh, please do it. Uh, yeah. What's the name of the book? Also, sorry? Tell, you have to give us the name of the book. Come on. I'm about to do that. If you could just oh, like right. <laughs> Americans. I can't believe it. Canadians, actually. Even I more. am not Canadian. Um, anyway, the book is, is called The Indie Spiritualist, A No Bullshit Exploration. And um, the forward is by Noah Levine, who's also quite a spokesperson for all kinds of parts of the spectrum. And we, we love him, too. Uh, when I read the book, uh, I was struck by many things, and we'll get into the details. But this book is, is, is kind of a, a, a mind-blowing and, and groundbreaking book without any hyperbole because uh, what we see, uh, and I, I won't go on too much about this because you can talk about this yourself, obviously, Chris, sure, is, sure. is a, a real transformation uh, from, you know, some frankly dark times, uh, which are not that different from things we experienced when we were younger too, but I think uh, you experienced a much rougher ride in a way uh, via addiction. And coming out of addiction, like many people uh, that I've met in my life, uh, found a a whole new vision, a whole new vision. And the first thing I would like to ask you um, is to just, I know because I read the book, but for those who haven't, uh, talk a little bit about the kind of pivot the pivot you made, and when you made it, and why you made it, uh, in your very honest terms, would you please give us some insight into those moments years ago? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you know, I kind of hit that, the rock bottom, the, the cliche rock bottom that you hear a lot of uh, addicts talk about. And um, it was, you know, Jack Cornfield had written something really nice for my book, and he said something to the effect of you awaken your true spirit by way of the broken heart. And uh, when I read that, that really kind of put into words um, my experience in a way that I hadn't really been able to yet. Um, and that's really what it was, was having that uh, that low, low, low uh, spot in my life that literally left me with nothing. And not just nothing on the material level, but quite literally on the spiritual level, just feeling bankrupt in every sense of the word. Um but that was what really made way for me to kind of start getting out of my own way and really to allow something a bit greater than myself or a lot greater than myself um, to start guiding me and in, in my life. And uh, so, I mean, it really it really kind of came to a head when I woke up in a jail cell about three years ago from a blackout drunk uh, after I was suffering a relapse. It almost took my life. And from there, you know, I, I got myself into a detox and then... Uh, that was hard because I lost my job while in that detox of five years. Uh, I missed my brother's wedding where I was supposed to be his best man. Uh, it was just a very dark time. And uh, I went to treatment. And for the first time, it wasn't my first time going to treatment, but for my first time there uh, in a treatment facility, I felt completely hopeless. There was always a little glimmer of hope in the past, but this time I had felt uh, it was the darkest things had ever been for me. Um, but, you know, I, I actually ended up going uh, and speaking with the clinical director because he'd seen a medicine Buddha tattoo on my leg. He gave me a book called Finding Freedom uh, by Jarvis J. Masters, 
who is an inmate on uh, San Quentin's death row. Uh, he's an amazing writer. Uh, Pima Children wrote the foreword for his second book. And just reading how this man in the most darkest, desperate location pretty much, and, and you know, at least here in America, uh, you know, in San Quentin death row, took his Bodhisattva vows and started uh, living his life, um, you know, as compassionately as he could and practicing nonviolence. So for, for me, that, that was the catalyst that got me off my own pity pot and kind of snapped, uh, snapped or, or I guess rekindled that flame of hope, you could say, in my heart. Mm. And it's, it's been a pretty uh, amazing journey since then. Not all rainbows and unicorns, but it's been a pretty beautiful thing. So, Wow. I, uh, you know, going back to this connectivity stuff, uh, I just want to read a little something which struck me and why I started to think about it in the way that we're uh, speaking of. Spirituality is often of little interest to those of us who are independent thinkers and don't necessarily think we fit into mainstream cultural norms. Something inside us has always felt other than. A little bit of... um, I I added a couple of things in there (laughs) to change your book. But... It's kind of what I felt back then. That's why it made me think of it. I was completely this, nothing but that. I completely felt at odds with everything around me and, you know, and always felt other than, right. you know, and, 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 and David and I, you know, we talked about just this kind of stuff and how we were affected by uh, feeling other than and there must be something real here there must be some way to you know it can't be this it can't be it it can't be it and um and interestingly enough for me in my particular case i uh when i was 16 or 17 or something i saw john coltrane live where i live in montreal and uh lived and um and had ultimately a some sort of transcendental experience without any drugs no drugs no nothing um and uh and then you you talk in your book about eddie van halen and having Mm -hmm. a similar experience is all i could you know tell that experience because it's great we love eddie too well yeah i i share that because a, a lot of people um you know are conditioned to think of spirituality or religion in a certain way it's supposed to look a certain way smell a certain way taste a certain way and uh in my experience at least i couldn't be farther from the truth you know when we make ourselves available to spirit when we open ourselves up and and we open our hearts up uh i believe you can have these experiences Anytime. I mean, there's not a time where spirituality isn't happening. That's what I believe. Um, but so I, just to bring that point home, sure, you know, I was at a Van Halen concert maybe like six or seven years ago, and Eddie Van Halen had this 20-minute solo where the rest of the band left the stage, and I just became completely, you know, lost in it, a very transcendental experience, experience for me, mm-hmm. where literally, like, it, it, everything just kind of started to to, to dissolve, and... Um, all that I was hearing was the guitar and then it was not even the guitars. It's, you know, as you guys, I'm sure where it's a very hard thing to put these experiences into words. Um, but it was a complete sense of even saying oneness, I feel doesn't do justice. You know, it was just literally, I was gone. It was the music. And then I, my body actually started to fall into the row of seats in front of me because mm. 
I was just, I wasn't there anymore. Mm. And I've had, I'd had experiences like that before, but they're always in meditation when I was sitting, you know, so I was, Mm. I was in that position, but this, you know, I I caught myself as I started to fall forward and it snapped me out of it. And I was kind of like smiling, embarrassed. And, uh, I figured, you know, everyone probably just thought I was drunk, which I wasn't, I was completely sober, but, uh, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, I just, I shared that because I want people to know, uh, you know, the, the book was certainly written, I believe it's applicable for all spiritual seekers, but I, you know, I definitely had the younger generation of truth seekers in mind, um, using my, my younger self kind of as a template about 10 years ago or 12 years ago now when I was stumbling onto the path, something that I would have, would have made spirituality a bit more accessible for me at that point in my life. So I figure stories like this help mm. those people. So you're pretty old now, aren't you? How old are I'm, you? I'm 36 in June this oh year. Oh my so God. Yeah. I'm getting up there. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, it, it's it's one thing to say you help people of your, your own age. I, I'll tell you, uh, reading parts of your book, you help me too. It, it, you don't, it, life, you know, you think is sort of linear. You're going to get more and more and more with that equanimous thing and more and more invested in, in, in the non-material and all of that. Well, yes, it develops. But everyone, including me, for sure, uh, needs a jump here and there. And I, I think you democratize this a lot in your book. In other words... Yeah, I, I'm like Raghu. I, I first saw John Coltrane in Brighton in England uh, with my brother, and he was playing with uh, Eric Dolphy and McCoy Tyner, Elvin Jones. Mm-hmm. And it's odd that Raghu and I didn't know each other at all at that time. Yeah, I, yeah. That Maybe it wasn't quite as intense for me, but I remember, I was sitting in the front row, I remember this is different. This is taking me to a different space. I didn't know what the space was. Uh, I had no idea. In the conversation in the car home, I tried to explain to my brother, and he said, you don't have to. That's Coltrane and Dolphy. That's mm-hmm. who they are. And that's now who you are a little bit. My brother was my mentor in many ways. So, But to get back to the democratization of this, one of the things about your book that I really, or there are many aspects that are really attractive to me, but one of them is this, that you constantly, you keep coming back to the fact that everything is available the spirituality is available everywhere. And a quote from you, which I love, is that life is beautiful and disgusting both. Mm-hmm. And I thought that captures a lot of Buddhist and other disciplines, uh, you know, that you can't, dip, you can't compartmentalize anything. There's bad shit happening. There's good shit happening. It goes away. Within that is an answer. I'd like you to amplify that, Chris, for us. Yeah, well, uh, you know, so in my experience, obviously, it's been uh, very high highs, very low lows, uh, but there's never a time it's not part of the path, part of spirituality. Um, You know, the more I've meditated and and sat with my practice, the more I can anchor myself into that uh, I am, you know, awareness, the isness that is aware of both the good and the bad that's happening. So for me, that just shows, you know, it, it all is what it is. As Ram Dass would say, it's all grist for the mill. Quite literally, all of it is. Every single aspect, every moment of every day is. It's just a matter, you know, for me, if I'm able to anchor myself into that position and, and bring awareness to that, you know, on a good day, I, I can do that. Um, but there, you know, there's plenty of times where I can't. And, and you know, as I'm sure you saw, like, I write very honestly and vulnerably about that in my book. I don't want to present my experience as, you know, some amazing self-actualized individual because I'm not, you know, I'm I'm just like anyone else who's on the path and I have good days and I have bad days. Um, but I want to offer it to the reader in the realest way I can. I look at a lot of the 
best-selling, you know, spiritual books these days, and they're very pretty, and they're very light, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If it's serving, you know, people and helping them, that's great, but I think that so much of what's being presented to people today is watered down, and I feel like a lot of the younger generation doesn't resonate with that, um, and you'd mentioned Noah Levine earlier, and, and I think he's doing a wonderful job of showing both the good and the ugly, and there's another great uh, author named Brad Warner, and he's doing similar, so you know, I think we're trying to balance uh, the equation. Uh, you probably won't see any of us on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, who knows? But, you know, we're not trying to be these marketing machines that are uh, selling millions of books. Uh, I mean, nothing wrong with that. It'd be great if we're able to reach that many people and help them. But, um, you know, we're just, or at least I'll speak for myself, I'm just trying to put it out there as raw and as real as I can from my experience and the experience of the people that came before me, you know, Chogyam Trungpa and Ramana Maharshi and, and Ram Das and, you know, all these people that they didn't make it pretty, you know, they were very real about it. And that's what speaks to me. And I think that's what really speaks to a lot of the, you know, the emerging seekers of the, the newer generations as well. Mm. Yeah. You talk about Trungpa in your book yeah. more than once. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you listen to David and I, but uh, we talk about him all the time. And <laughs> we, the, he was a formative teacher. When, yes. we, when we came back from India, that's Ramdas and others of us uh, that were there at the time, that second time around, we used to, uh, I lived actually in Quebec and just over the border in Vermont, uh, they used to call it Tale of the Tiger, was uh, Trungpa's uh, retreat center there. And we used to go down, and there's some famous, uh, there's actually a video of it that, um, I don't know if I actually copped it, but it was unbelievable on YouTube, uh, of uh, Trungpa Lecture, and he was sitting there, and as you say, he occasionally, or more than, uh, had a little sake, and he, you know, finished that off, and in the whole process, it was all about Don Juan, the Way of the Yaki, that book, mm. the Castaneda's books. Yeah. And, um, and he had Ramdas come up, and he had him answer the questions of, the, of Trumpa's audience. And there were some people there, because you also talk about light and love, you know, that you, you know, this generation isn't interested in heavy, intense Buddhist uh, esoteric thought on one hand, or new agey light and love. Well, that's what they called us, because we came from the Bhakti tradition in India, and right. Trumpa and everyone... You know, they looked askance at that. So we were in the midst of the teeth of that, and they were making, and he was dropping ashes on Ram Dass's head. I mean, it's an unbelievable <laughs> from his cigarette uh, thing. Um, uh, he was the yeah one of the most masterful teachers. So uh, to to present Trumpa within the context of this is, you know, and uh, you know the spiritual materialism book is is the example of. Yeah, that's a core book. If you've got five oh. books that you're going to offer to anybody, uh, that's core one. And by the way, please go to Mind Rolling Podcast and go to our portal, our Amazon portal, and you can get that book right there. How's yes. that, Dave? That See, was very well We're terrible uh, at we this marketing shit, to, by the way. You and me both. I can't self-cheerlead to save my life, so I understand. Yeah. Well, Chris, one, one of the things that, again, in the book that blew me away was your kind of double whammy feedback comments about not judging yourself as well as not judging others. One of the things I loved was when you talked about you were going to a kirtan and suddenly you became preoccupied about wearing a certain kind of sneaker. 
Uh, <laughs> it was suede, I think. And yes. you started to think about, oh, is this the right kind of sneaker? And are the yogis and yoginis going to judge me? And right. I'm wearing some kind of death metal T-shirt and, you know, etc. I loved it because actually when you read real Buddhist heavy-duty stuff, a lot of it is about that release, you know, from self-judgment and from these the chatter. You talk about it all the time. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you came to this, you know, being able to sort of look at what you were thinking and, and, and know that you were thinking it and not say it's bad or good, but just override that because it's very yeah. important to people. It, it really is. And that's like I was saying before, I like to really throw myself under the bus, I guess you could say, when I write, because I don't want to present myself in any other way than I am. And I can still be totally ridiculous about things like that at times. I mean, that was going back a few years ago. So I've gotten better. But it was my first time playing up at uh, Kripalu, which, you know, is, is a, a, a very uh, well-known yoga uh, center here in up in Massachusetts. And I had never been, so I was really excited to go perform with my friend uh, Alana Kaivalya, who's a, a wonderful yoga teacher, and she was doing a week uh, class or course there. And um, yeah, so as I was packing up the drums, you know, I'm, I'm wearing, or no, I wasn't wearing yet, but I was looking at my my Sacconis, which were suede, and then I have my Vans, which are canvas, and and I really had this like come to Jesus moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? And uh, uh, you know, but I caught myself and just how absolutely ridiculous that was, um, you know, and, and part of the reason I had that is because from years of visiting various sanghas and different kinds of spiritual centers, there have certainly been plenty of times where, you know, I get the stink eye because of strictly how I look. I mean, Tara Brock, uh, the, the wonderful Buddhist teacher, just posted about my book. Um, she wrote me a lovely endorsement and posted about it last week on her uh, on her Facebook page. And in the post, you know, there was a picture of me and uh, most of the comments were overwhelmingly kind. But of course, me being the the good self-loathing kind of addict mentality that still is buried down there, I took note of two comments, one where someone simply said, I hate tattoos. And for your mm -hmm. listeners that can't see me, I'm covered in tattoos. And the other, uh, I, you know, I don't remember verbatim, but he went on uh, to some extent about how can anyone who would cover themselves in, in you know, tattoos know the first thing about wisdom. Um Really? You know, and, yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing that, and I still, I, I run into that quite often and, uh, and that's sad, you know, but so not to make excuses, but I share that because I think that's part of what played into that mentality of that day. But, you know, I know better than that today. And, and really, if someone is preoccupied with how I look or what the way I choose to live my life and is going to judge me for that, that's their business. I really have no you know, no place worrying about that. Um, I'm, I am for the most part comfortable in my skin and, and, uh, where I'm at today in my path and in my life. So, mm. well, yeah. that's a Trungpa Rinpoche. We're going to bring him back into this because yeah. one important, important teaching from him that does get integrated over, over longer time is sense of humor. Yes. You know, and you know, you, these things you, you go, Oh, you know, and, and you the reaction uh, just goes down to zero. You, the self-judgment and reaction to thoughts and you know emotions and all of that, it eventually goes down so far that you're like you know you're way fine with your your little demons. They're yes. fine. You just love them to death, you know. And <laughs> kind of and, and we just did again. Sorry, Dave. I'm, we're touting our podcast again, but I thought that that podcast, except the rascal, w which is w uh, a podcast we did a bit ago, 
and we found this uh, incredible uh, reading uh, and interpretation by Alan Watts of a Jung thing around the sh- you know like accepting your rascal you know and and until that happened you couldn't do a thing for yourself or help a soul mm-hmm. it is so great a thing um but that's also the same what we're talking about here which is just that's you know it's it's just like a snap and it just goes by and it's fun yes. you know there's yeah. no no nothing else to it um david is it your turn uh, I have so many things. You have for. so many things, and we have so little time. <laughs> well, it, okay, you go. Just the book just resonates. It's like I, I you know, it's not so much a generational thing as it isn't a, a question of honesty and articulation of honesty. You know, like okay, I'm going to tell you this about myself. You may not dig it, but this is the way it really is. And I think that really helps people because the idea of perfection, like this morning, I'm looking at Facebook, and I see an ad for a retreat in Greece, a yoga retreat in Greece. And it's incredibly expensive. But the picture was what really got me. It was uh, an absolutely gorgeous supermodel uh, with a white mini dress overlooking an azure blue ocean. Now, I don't know. I go to Dharma Mitra in New York, which is on a crummy street in a crummy neighborhood. And it kind of the whole place is full of garbage. And and sometimes people come in, you don't know who they are. I'm not saying that's my world. But as you say... Many times in different ways, Chris, you say, honor everything, honor everything. All will be honored, Uh, you know, do your thing, but honor everything. And all is relevant. You can eat it all. I think what you say a few times in the book, which I agree with, and you're not being judgmental, and and as you've said, yoga's great, and and it's wonderful this is happening over, over the world. But you do make the point that you can't just put a certain part of it away and say, that's not for me. That doesn't work. And I'm really fascinated by that, you know, about your articulation of that. It's really brilliant. And, you know, can you can you go on about that a little bit and stop me talking? No, that's fine. So so basically talking about yoga in general or just practice or what resonates for us. um, Is that where you're going with that? And also the the question of all the, the inclusive nature of spiritual grasp. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, so I, I do mention a few times throughout the book that yoga, um, the posturing, you know, asana sense of yoga is something that hasn't really resonated for me. Um, however, you know, I'm, I that's only part of yoga. You know, I, I'm a kirtan musician and, uh, and you know, karma yoga, etc., rajas. So, I mean, there's, there's other elements of yoga that, um, you know, are, are core to that. And uh, I, I mentioned that throughout the book because, again, similar to being judged on appearance, you know, with the tattoos, I've had a number of times people who find out I'm not into the the asana element of yoga and, and they just look at me like I have two heads. Uh, and especially if I'm performing, you know, a, a kirtan uh, and that happens to come up. Um, but something I, I try to really bring home in this book is that we need to honor, you know, a path of heart, as Jack Cornfield would call it, you know, finding out what resonates for us, what tradition speaks to us, what practices speak to us, and, and you know, ride that train all the way home or for as long as it, it works for you. Uh, no one, I mean, only you will know what experience is valid for you. Of course, you'll have teachers that can help guide you, but we are the only ones that know what experience we're having. So at the end of the day, 
especially for newer people, I think it's important to be kind of a spiritual scientist in a way. And as Ram Dass would say, spend a little time in that spiritual buffet line. You don't want to get lost there forever, but you need to find out what really does and does not work for you and what's right. going to help bring you home. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why in this book, I, I try to really stress that uh, it's all good. It is all good. You know, it, it's it's just different paths up the mountain, as we've heard people say numerous times, and it all leads us back to the same place. Um, so for me, as I sit back and I watch people kind of bicker about which tradition or which path or which practice is the best, it, it's kind of silly to me that people waste any time on that. Why not support one another? Whatever lineage feels right to you, amazing. You know, bring that faith home with you and, and, and go with that, but honor others and, and be open-minded. You know, like why not? I, for me, I, I've I, the traditions, there's been elements in certain traditions that have just really brought my practice home that much more. Um, and I loved, I had recently watched the film that you guys did, the second part in your series about uh, faith. Oh, yeah, and I loved, so. loved the, mm. that was so inspiring from to hear Sharon Salzberg talking about, mm. you know, faith in relation to Buddhism, to everyone's story. Um, that was really inspiring. I know this is a little off topic, but Raghu, that story about you and your father oh. in India with the LSD. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. Heavy. Yeah. That um, was, it was, but, it was. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in terms of the different paths that people, the spiritual buffet, and you bump into stuff and something resonates with you and you you got to follow your intuition, I don't think it's so much uh, a matter of the different path. It's more a matter of what you bring, the honesty that you can bring to that path, you know, and the uh, commitment or what Joseph Goldstein, because we're, we're reading Joseph's book, Mindfulness, uh, and we're going to have him on the show, um, calls, you know, true ardency, ard- to be ardent. I mean, that's a whole pr- thing within the Buddhist canon that's a super important uh, aspect because it can't be something that you, I'm doing it and I'm going to get it done. You know, it can't be that. Um, so, uh, by the way, David, mm. d- did you sign up for that yoga course with the mom? <laughs> Tell the truth, Okay. I, I, I thought you were going to say it was so I, great. I signed no, up for it. Not because of the girl. I just couldn't afford it. You have to oh, be those right. sort of well, that. That's true. Can we ask people? Kind of yoga. You know, you, you make $10 million and you go to Greece and you stop loving the material world. Then you come back and make a right. lot more. Uh, well, perhaps can we ask, do you think it'd be bad if we ask the listeners to send and donate money to Mind Rolling Podcast and buy stuff on Amazon and go to audible.com and get a membership going there so that we can send you to this beautiful yoga center. You need some (laughs) yoga. You really do. And speaking of yoga, Chris, uh, there's one great thing you say in this book. Talking about uh, all of the quote-unquote, shall we call, spurious uh, traditions that have been translated into America or the West and their foundations are, are maybe a little bit flimsy and what they're bringing to it maybe not the uh, leading people to uh, real self-inquiry and real honesty and all. And you talk about that. Um, and But I love the comparison you make. That kind of spirituality as pre- as presented is in many ways today is like what Jersey Shore is to reality. <laughs> That's yeah. great. That's right on. That's absolutely right on. I mean, um, and I have to tell you, I am um, I'm a I'm very bad person. 
Dave will vouch for that. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, you know, I, coming out of all that time in India, and I still, you know, I go to India every year, basically for a long, long time. Um, and I'm totally, and when I go there, and t- I'm talking about kirtan now, that tradition, okay? Because you're totally, uh, I understand, into it. And, uh, you know, so this is where Krishnadas and Jai Utah, you know, and Bhagavan, we all got it from there. Mm-hmm. And um, we go there and sit with these guys 24-7 who do Hare Krishna, nothing but three guys. They trade off and they one plays harmonium, one plays drums, one plays cymbals. And it's like a they're like metronomes and, and there's no and, you know, they they fall half out, you know, doing it so long. And then it comes together. But it's there is nothing going on but the practice. Absolutely nothing. So just take from, you know, from zero there to 100 where everybody is, a lot of people doing kirtan, and it's fulfilling their desire systems about being a kirtan walla. By the way, Krishnas' new record is called Kirtan Walla, folks, coming out next week, and you can get that on Amazon, too. Um, uh, But what I have a hard time with is that, and we're speaking of Krishnas, and in the book, actually, you talk about you make reference to a uh, a kirtan musician, just kirtan, you know, a kirtan musician, and goes out on the road and does the thing. Why Krishnadas is um, has the audience that he has and is able to transmit what he does is because he's not doing. He is not a musician. He's not performing. He's not nothing. He's doing a practice. He's doing that practice for himself and whoever wants to ride you know, comes along and took, you know, and this didn't just happen bang like that. It took a lot of uh, of practice and a a lot of dealing with. And of course he had the advantage also, um, you know, we've had mentors all these years from those days with Maharaji um, to this second, you know, where there's somebody there, Siddhima in this case, uh, who, you know, we're able to get completely uh, sourced in, shall we say, right. without any bullshit. So whatever bullshit you have, that gets cut. You know, I mean, that's the easy part of being around beings like this. Um, but uh, I think that's a, that's really y- y- bringing that attitude, that stand, vantage point to whatever the practice is, as a practice. And 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 mix in honesty and real self inquiry and you know Ramana Maharshi who's you know yeah. incredible, uh, Siddha you know and and the, by the way, uh, you know Ramdas talks about this in his book Be Be Loved Now what a Siddha is versus even a saint guru what that really means um, there's not many of them and um, the what why their words are so powerful is because they are no longer caught in any kind of duality right. so um i just uh, you know so i was really taken uh really by the tone of your book tr- that really is that's where it's headed mm-hmm. it's headed to 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 really get you know the substantial truth and try and dispense with all of the frivolity that's involved because we love that especially in the west you know we really love to be distracted by you know all sorts of things 
is anyhow, am I making a case here? For, I mean, in terms I, of the way you see this? No, I, I couldn't uh, agree with what you're saying more. Um, as I said, it's it's hard for me. I don't want to be judgy by any means um, and, and put down some of the, the lighter material that's out there. But at the same time, in my heart, for me, it doesn't resonate really. I mean, like I said, if it's helping others, great. But I don't feel like a lot of it's doing much more than scratching the surface, um, which maybe that's all it needs for or it takes for someone. And then they'll go deeper on their own. Um, but looking at the, the traditions that that really resonated with me and the teachers, you know, like I've already mentioned, and you just mentioned Ramana Maharshi and, and Alan Watts and Ram Das, you know, these these great people and teachers, I do feel like a lot of it is, um, I, I feel like there's two schools. I feel like that stuff is, is thriving and, uh, you know, and I think people are starting to turn more to that. But also, on the other hand, I feel like in other respects, it's kind of starting to fall under the radar a bit because all of this new glamorous, pretty spirituality is really what's where, what you see, you know, on on Oprah, on on the New York Times bestseller list. And um, though, in all fairness, I, I have seen Ram Dass and Jack Kornfield recently on Oprah, which was yes, wonderful. Yes, that's right. So I, I, and Oprah's know, got, she's got a very complex being. Yes. She's got the right thing going on as well Agreed. as all of the attachment to roles, you know, like all of us. And she's right. got a lot more a possibility for attachment than, you know, with her power and wealth. So, you know, right. that's definitely there. Yeah. Totally agree. You mentioned in the book, actually, a New York Times <laughs> review of some yeah. glam, you know, sort of glamorous yoga and everything. And, and it, it, it upset you as it did me when I read it, uh, because it, it's so shallow. And one tries not to be judgmental about anybody, actually. So, But you can only think, my goodness, this person just fell for the bait of the wrong thing. I yeah, mean, yeah. he did not come. I went to a kirtan uh, two weeks ago. And there were five women kirtan singers, and I didn't know any of them. And I went for another reason, because it was a tribute to someone, a friend of mine who passed. Mm -hmm. And I was completely, I didn't know anyone there, and I was just a, an invisible person at the back. And these women were just fantastic. The, 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 the sincerity, the depth, the lack of ego. They never spoke. They didn't tell us anything. They just did it. And they sang uh, beautifully, and the call and response was amazing. And, and it was just... An amazing thing, because there was no glam there, right. uh, nobody at all. So you got both sides of this, yeah, but yeah. as you noted, the New York Times typically, in their cynical way, I'm not a big fan of the New York Times, so I'll just say that right now. They just what? itched upon this thing, which was the lowest level of the yoga revolution or the counterculture revolution, whatever you want to call it. And that's the problem, that uh, they, they weren't giving an accurate representation of pretty much the majority of people who are involved in this. Because you don't go to a kirtan, really. Most people don't go in order to be seen. Some do, right, you right. know. I mean, if you have 2,000 people at a KD1, you're going to have all kinds of people there. But when there's 40 people there, they're there because they want to be there. And as, as other kirtan singers have said, uh, kirtan fills the room, and then it fills your consciousness. And then you start, the stop, it stops the chatter in the easiest way we know, which is to sing. Yeah, and yeah. I, I just find it very, uh, you know, very fascinating that that your uh, your music background, very different from mine, um, is you know involves punk music and, and post punk and hardcore and post hardcore and so on. Right, I know right. about this music, but it's so interesting to me that you can bring those two together in your in your life, and there's no contradiction. That that is something that we should you know our listeners should hear about. 
because oh, yeah. it cuts it cuts stereotypes and judgment judgmental. For sure. You know, I'm, I'm happy talk, to talk, talk about, about that. that, David. Yeah, please do. Um, and just really quick, before I, I talk about that, I just really quickly did want to say um, one last thought about that, you know, the New York Times article and whatnot, how it's presenting a very materialistic view of spirituality. The one reason I do address things like that is because I can't tell you how many people I've run into when um, they find out I'm into spirituality or, you know, I've written a spiritual book. That's the first thing they think of because that's the popular image that's being presented is, you know, these really beautiful white women with blonde hair or famous actors and actresses. And and that's what's so often associated with spirituality. So, again, not to say that that can't be part of it because it, it all is relevant. But I just I really want to let people know that that's not all that's out there. And, and again, especially the younger generation, they a lot of them don't know that it's not all superficial in that sense. So I just wanted to reiterate that, mm. um, which I guess actually really does tie in to the punk rock and, and hardcore thing for me, because, you know, I was like 13 or 14 years old when I went to my first show um, in high school. And, you know, kids were going to the high school dances on Friday nights. And I was going with uh, an older friend to the clubs, you know, in, in New England and going to see these bands. And I, I can't tell you, you know, the experience I had the first time that um, I, I put a needle down to that to that seven inch record and it just it cut right through me. You know, like the raw passion of the music, the driving guitars and drums and the, the passion of the singers, not just their voice, but even what they were saying. Um, it was really my first experience of, I guess it's cliche, but kind of unplugging from the Matrix, if you will. It was my first real uh I guess in a way, real awakening experience, to be honest with you. And I, I noticed that later uh, on in life, as I started to uh, explore spirituality and how that deeply ingrained kind of question everything uh, idea and, and ethics that were instilled in me at that time really stuck with me. And, and I'm so grateful that when I was exploring spirituality in the various paths, I was able to take an honest look and see what did resonate with me and not just blindly kind of get jump into something. Mm. Uh, but also recognizing that even though it didn't resonate with me, didn't mean it wasn't valid for someone else. You know, that's something I'm very grateful that, you know, Hey, thanks mom, because she taught me to each their own at a very early age. And mm. I sincerely am grateful for that teaching. But so, yeah. And, and now today I still love punk rock and, and hardcore music because th there's still that very raw passion. But, you know, later on in life, I write about the first time I heard Krishnadas. He was my introduction to Kirtan and I had only took his CD out of the library because I'd heard Ram Das talk about him so many times. And the same experience I had when I was 14 with that seven inch I had when I listened to Krishnadas's album and literally again for the second time musically cut like broke my heart wide open and it was just one of those experiences you know that i i know i will never ever forget and you know every time i listen to, to katie it, i have that and, and many other kirtan musicians today as well so i can have these transcendental experiences you know i'm a kirtan musician now too and as i'm playing that you know and singing to, to kali or ganesh and or if I'm doing like the, the punk stuff that I, I don't do as frequently today, but sometimes I do, I still have these, you know, wonderful heart experiences. And that's that's the common denominator is that they're heart experiences. Mm -hmm. Exactly that. I, you and, and you talk about, you know, you have it, obviously, uh, I'm not guessing, I'm knowing because you went and interviewed Ram Das and did a session with him and, and that he's been important in terms of your you know, mm. moving forward on, on the path. And you talked about uncon unconditional love that you had felt and so on. You know, and that's another f full circle for us uh, because that, that was the same thing that happened to us then. 
Uh, the first one for me was this uh, Mayor Baba, uh, and mm-hmm. I felt that same kind of a thing just through his picture. And then, obviously, uh, hearing Ramdas and all that. Um, and it ultimately, when I found out, I mean, in my case, when I first met Maharaji, the first instant, the first thought that went through my head was, oh, shit, that's what Ramdas was all about. It had nothing to do with him, you know, and and he'll say that today, you know. Yeah. He says it all the time, you know, whatever you're feeling. And same Krishnadas, you know, with these thousands and thousands of people he sings with uh, almost on a nightly basis. Um, so it does, uh, the Beatles were right, and David did a whole incredible ser- thing, uh, movie with them called The Complete Beatles. You can get that on Amazon too, Dave, right? <laughs> the Complete I Beatles. I think you can. I think you can. I mean, oh, Beatles, it's got to be as a DVD now. But, uh, but what they, I'm just going to try and say, sure. all you need is love. Oh. All you need is love. I mean, they they Not got true. that right, you know. Yes. And of course, that's completely bastardized that word in our culture, yeah. or in any culture probably. Uh, but uh, when you actually meet up with that heart that you're talking about uh, at some point in your life, then you completely do understand, you know, the validity of that as, as a uh, now unconditional love. Of course, is a whole other. Uh, transmission and and you know which includes compassion and his holiness the Dalai Lama talks so much about that um, but it goes you know it, it, people don't need to go to India you haven't been to India have you no uh, it's so you I, there's no, no need uh, well, you are I, living I really proof go, but, <laughs> but you're right yes you don't need to go to to have the whatever you were supposed go. to what bumped into you I mean and I don't know who you know there is, there is a, everyone does have some guide yeah. internal from Christ to Buddha, whoever it is that they pick you up, yeah. you know, like we were picked up uh, and, uh, you know, you seem to be picked up as well. I mean, n- and that's just a matter of acknowledging you, you acknowledge at some point that you've been picked up. I mean, it's just as, as simple as that. And then you, you just run with it basically and uh, uh, so I think that th- that goes back to, you know, that is the one that, you know, and Ram Dass, of course, talks about it all the time, is returning to that place and uh, uh, where there is not any kind of duality. Uh, there are moments of complete non-dual being and presence, and that's what be here now is all about. Yeah. Ram, right? I mean, Ram Dass totally... Uh, he, he was that for me, and he still continues to be that. And it's interesting, though, that I can look back now, and as you're saying, you know, he, he as well as Maharaji are the containers for these illumined teachings, you know, that are just, that, that they're heart teachings. And I write in the book about, I, I called it the transmission of the heart, because that's what I felt with his teachings. You know, never in my life had I ever felt such unconditional love. I mean, my yeah. parents have been amazing, but this was a whole nother level of, yeah. like, just, you know, again, something that's hard to put into words. And I write about how after, you know, Raghu, you you emailed me back that this was before I really knew you very well, but that Ram Das could do the interview. I literally cried. Um, mm. And I don't cry much. It's not because I'm a tough guy. I just, I don't cry that often. Mm. And I cried. And then to sit there and, and share that space with Ram Das on Skype for the, you know, that hour, again, like I teared up so many times. Like I was buzzing literally the whole time we did mm. it. And then the the, you know, 
at the end when out of nowhere he offered indie spiritualist a blessing and points to the sky and said and that comes from above it like another heart shattering oh my gosh you know here's maharaji's transmission through him and here's the realization that all these years I'm looking at Ram Dass as this amazing and I still see him in that way as such an, an amazing teacher in my life. But again, it's just a container for the teaching, you know, that comes from the heart and is transmitted from heart to heart. Yeah, it's just recognizing ourselves. Yeah. You know? Yes, and exactly. Then, then it's a completely different light. Right. You know, right. and to get there though, you have to accept that old rascal first. As yes. Jung said. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's such a great thing. Well, it's been great having you. Uh, Honors mine. Yeah, it's been yeah, wonderful. It's lovely, um, you know, and oh, by the way, the the Trungpa book that I was recommending that Chris recommends in his book is called "Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism." It is a phenomenal book, uh, and you can again go to Mind Rolling Podcast and hit our portal and bookmark it and go there and buy that book and anything else. We need your support. There is no doubt about it. Dave has a retreat to go to. In Greece, <laughs> with some beautiful models, and so as soon as you can, you know, get that going, that'd be great. And uh, uh, and of course, uh, get Chris's book. It's uh, Chris. Yeah, it just get went Chris's up. Book. Get his book. I mean, I, I downloaded it because I lost the copy you gave me. I had to download it, oh, and I did. I got it on on Apple, and I think it just went up there, right? It looked like well, it just March, went up. Yeah, this month. March yeah, this 4th, month. This yeah. Released, yeah. So you can, you know, you can, we won't get anything if you. Plus, go there, there are links so. all the way through the book <laughs> to various. Uh, oh right, yes. Radio uh, stuff and music and all kinds of stuff that Chris has been involved with. So you're getting a multimedia experience. I actually want to thank you, Chris, because I think it's important for people to be able to recognize an author as being like themselves in some way, and when that author is so distant. Uh, it can be kind of alien. It's like, okay, I believe him. It's true. It's great. It's wonderful. But I'm not like that. I'm never going to get that. When yeah. you read, when you when you read this book, everyone, you will get a hit of of this man who you've not met uh, being, you know, so honest about his life. You will recognize your own life in it and realize there's hope yet for you because uh, you know it's so easy to fall into that thing of us and them. And in Chris's book, that is just dissolved. That proscenium arch, that stage is gone. You're in the crowd and you're actually looking at it from a recognizable human being, very much like all of us. And I want to thank you for that, Chris, and I want to thank you for doing this podcast. Oh, well, thank you, David. Uh, your words are, they mean so much. Uh, like I said, all of you guys in the, the Love Serve Remember, Remember Foundation has been huge for me. Uh, so my heartfelt gratitude to you guys for your time. Sincerely, thank you so much. Well, thank you. And uh, folks, go to uh, mindrollingpodcast.com. Dave's got blogs up there that are wonderful. Cut up. Uh, didn't you You cut up that, that uh, Accept the Rascal thing? You put the Jung thing in there, right? The Alan Watts thing? Did you yes. do that? Uh, one of our wonderful people transcribed the uh, Alan Watts' uh -huh. words great. about Jung. Check, check it out, Chris. It's good. Um, I will. She, yeah. and she did it for us, and I put it up a couple of days ago. Actually. Thank you again, and we see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Chris. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye, Chris.